Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Partner Buzz, the AWS partner-focused podcast in Australia and Aotearoa, New Zealand. My name is Richard Wilmot, and in addition to being your host for today, I'm a partner management solutions architect here in Sydney. Partner Buzz is a podcast series for people in both technical and business leadership roles within our AWS partner network community throughout the ANZ region. And we'll be taking a deep dive into a wide range of topics to better inform and we hope also entertain our community as we build together for our joint AWS customers. So today I'm joined by Sarah von der Mistake, Senior AI ML Specialist Partner Solution Architect for ANZ. Now, Sarah needs no introduction to our partners as she is definitely regarded as the authority on all things AI and ML for our partners. And she brings over a decade worth of experience building and helping our AWS partners build machine learning solutions. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's quite an introduction there. <laughs> uh, but I think certainly, um, I know personally as a PMSA, you've you've worked very closely with me and my partners to help them build in, in, on um on AWS, build uh, ML solutions and get the most out of AWS AI and ML solutions. So I think um, in your role as a as a partner, say, how do you actually enable partners to get the value out of AWS and ML? Yeah, there's a couple of things uh, that I do. So part of it is just running trainings, right? So mm -hmm. training partners, teaching them how to use the services in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. um, how to do it in a cost-effective way, how to do it in a secure way, you know, basically following all the, the pillars of the well-architected framework. Nice. Um, but, but besides training, I do also help out, you know, on actual customer projects. Um, mm -hmm. I always tell my partners I prefer if they come to me early, right? Yep. Before the project starts, let's have a look at the architecture. I probably, mm -hmm. you know, won't have much to say, but I might notice something that mm -hmm. we can hopefully fix and and prevent firefighting later on, which is, um, you know, the part that I, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of. <laughs> that's that, that's what the most fun part is, uh, as being an essay, is it? And I think what I love about that is that's that's common of all of our essays, right? Really getting involved early just so we can um, help our partners make make smart, informed decisions on behalf of our customers, I think is is the most critical part. So folks, um, today, as as I think you've guessed, we, we're going to be talking a lot about a hot topic, uh, specifically Gen AI. And uh, Sarah's got a number of, of key points that uh, she'd like to ensure our, our partners are across, because really, I think this is something which our customers and our partners are becoming significantly more aware of. It's certainly a very um, key topic that AWS is leaning into as well, isn't it, Sarah? Yes, it's currently almost every single conversation I'm having. Mm. Interesting. So let's uh, let's start working through and unpacking that just a little bit. So obviously, a lot of our partners would have would have heard about Gen AI, but not a lot of folks necessarily would have had the time to go into a lot of details. So, um, really, what do we mean by by AI and specifically Gen AI? Um, how do you how do you level set uh, those those terms for us? Yeah. So if we start with just the high high level term, right? AI in general, artificial intelligence. Really, all we're trying to do is we're trying to mimic human intelligent intelligence, mm -hmm. what humans are naturally good at. Um, computers are better at math than humans are, right? That's why they're they're called what they are. Um, <laughs> computers that makes sense. Computers, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, 
but but they're generally uh, not as good at understanding language. They're generally not mm. as creative as humans are. They're generally not as good at uh, interpreting images, right? So that's what yeah. AI tries to mimic is that that human intelligence. If we go one layer below that, we sort of have machine learning, and mm -hmm. the terms AI and ML are often used intercha interchangeably, but they're not completely the same thing. Um, historically, one way that people would try to mimic human intelligence was by writing rules, mm -hmm. right? And that's not machine learning. So machine learning is a technique where you let the computer figure out the rules and the patterns based on mm -hmm. data, yep. right? based on examples. Um, the main reason why you would use something like machine learning or, you know, let's use the broader term AI, is if a use case is too complex to capture mm -hmm. with rules. Yep. So if you can write rules for something, you always should use rules. It's going to mm -hmm. be the most uh, accurate way of handling a case if you can write rules for it. But if it's too complex, let's say figuring out what makes, what is a dog? Yeah. Right? Is a dog something with four legs? Well, not always. A dog might mm -hmm. have one leg amputated. Uh, is a dog very furry? Well, not always, right? We've mm -hmm. got hairless dogs. Um, so it's very, very difficult to write rules for that. And that's sort of where machine learning comes in. So any situation you can think of where, you know, it's too complex for rules, it's sort of where you can apply AI. So it's kind of that qualitative area where, where that's really where that's what we tend to do very intuitively. But fundamentally trying to get a computer to do that, that, that gets difficult because as you say, those rules just don't decompose simply, do they? Yes. And it's, it's a good exercise really when you have a use case in mind is, is to actually go and try to write rules for it. And okay. if you very quickly figure out that actually I can't, I cannot write rules for it. There's too many exceptions, too many things that don't fit in my rules. That's when you might start looking at an AI solution. It's a good fit for that. Nice. So I think um, that's a really great, great, uh, litmus test, isn't it? Because I think sometimes we feel that if something is very much top of mind for everyone, then obviously that is the solution. And I know that you and I have spoken quite extensively about what are those what are those use cases that make a lot of sense for machine learning and AI, and and what are those use cases that just don't? Um, it's not always the answer, is it? Exactly. Yeah. It's uh, I've had you know customers ask. Um, oh, I, I, I want to, you know, do some computations, right? Some mathematical computations. What mm -hmm. machine learning model should I use for that? And the answer is, well, you shouldn't. You should use a calculator. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a calculator is going to be 100% correct as long as you put the formulas in correctly. Mm -hmm. Whereas a machine learning model will never, ever be 100% correct. There's always a bit of, you know, undetermined. Um, it's always undeterministic to an extent. Yeah. Interesting. And that really kind of comes back to your initial point. Math is all about rules. So if you can solve mathematical problems by following the rules of mathematics, which are obviously axiomatic and provable, then really that's where you should be going anyway. So that's that's a really great filter, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Nice. So I might, um, I mean, you asked about Gen AI specifically, mm. right? So Gen AI is, um, I guess, even more of a subset of AI and, and machine learning. Um, mm -hmm. and, and generative AI is, you really have to focus on the generative part of that name, right? So yeah. it's these methods that can generate content from scratch, from, from nothing. And when we say content, we mean um, uh, sort of sequential content, right? Like text is sequences right. of tokens, sequences of words. Um, images, although we may not think of them as sequential, they're sequences of pixels, really. 
um, code again is a sequence of characters, right? Um, mm -hmm. So it's all about generating this code or text or images or audio or video mm -hmm. um, from very little, right? From maybe one input sentence or one right. input image. And that's really what generative AI is. Which is really quite interesting because I hadn't thought of that way at all. Um, that's such a succinct way of putting it because very often we we hear about generative AI in terms of people talking about large language models, foundational models, etc. But that distinction being it's it's a stream. There's there's some context uh, as opposed to more traditional ML and AI, such as as you say, image recognition. It's a once-off. It's not this continuous interaction with that model. Yes, and that's I think really key to understanding how generative AI works and what it can be applied to. So I'm probably going to be very um, very unpopular by asking you to um, to say. Is there is there really a nice natural explanation of of how generative AI works to some degree um, that that our audience could take away? I appreciate it's super complex, but uh, what's a good mental model that they can hold in their heads? So, the mental model that I, I sort of hold in my head um, again it, it'll be slightly different for images, but I think yeah. um, next are the most you know LLMs like large language models are probably mm -hmm. the most popular. So let's focus on that. Right. Um, the image that I sort of hold in my head is that the model produces one word at a time. Right. Technically speaking, it's not a word, it's a token. And yep. a token might actually be less than a word. But, you know, again, we don't have to focus on that necessarily. All you really need to know is it produces one word, word at, a at a time. Right. Based on seeing lots and lots and lots and lots of text. Mm -hmm. Right? So... Uh, by keeping that in mind, you can kind of understand the limitations of it. So I was saying before, you know, if you want to do computation, you use a calculator. Mm -hmm. Now, if you put what is 2 plus 2 into yeah. an LLM, it will probably tell you 4. Because right? it's it seen 2 plus 2 right. equaling 4 a little flow of the time. Exactly, because it's seen right. it before in example mm. text. But it's good to understand that what it's doing is it's reproducing something it's seen before or something mm -hmm. that it's been able to find patterns in and generalize on. It's not right. actually computing, right? It's not actually doing the computation in the way that we understand math. And so right. that's the important distinction, even though it looks like it can do it. And in many cases, it can. In many cases, it will get the answer correct. But it's not, you know, as reliable as a calculator. Because it's not following those deterministic rules it's following patterns that it's observed. Yes, it's following patterns that it's observed in text. And, you know, it's seen millions or billions of mm -hmm. pieces of text. And we cannot guarantee that everything it has seen is correct. Right? Maybe think, it's seen a piece where a formula with an answer was wrong. <laughs> which is totally, totally possible, I suppose. Which yes. is a which is a really interesting consideration because now having understood some of that base of the technology, obviously dramatically simplified, but I think that's such a really good metaphor to have um, to help us unpack and understand it. I think what our partners would probably be really liking, um, really liking to, what our partners would really like to know would be having understood that tech technology, how does that then map into the specific outcomes for a customer? What, what about the uh, the tool that we have as Gen AI um, can really be applied to a particular business case. What are some of the things that you think 
it makes a lot of sense for for our partners to be looking at uh, to leverage Gen AI for. Yeah, look, it makes a lot of sense for use cases where you need a degree of creativity. Right. Um, so, for example, uh, I'm seeing LLMs used quite a bit for summarization. Okay. We were able to do summarization before, but the techniques we used were mostly, you know, let's find the most important sentences in the document and just copy right. those verbatim and create a summarization out of that. Whereas Which is now, excluding all the context, isn't it? It is. It's excluding yeah. all the context, and it's you know, especially if you have a document with longer sentences, not every mm -hmm. part of a sentence might belong in the summary. So it's yeah. you know, it's fine, but it's not amazing, right? When humans mm. write summaries, we tend to rephrase the actual text and not just copy it verbatim. Um, and that's what generative AI allows us to do because it does have you know, it does understand human language really well. So it's really, really, really good at producing human language that sounds natural, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's good at parsing, understanding human text. And because it has that degree of creativity, it's, it's very non-deterministic. It can yeah. actually do the same thing that we as humans would do and actually rewrite and rephrase in order to create a summary. Um, so those kinds of creative applications is where it's really good. Same with chatbots, right? So yeah. it's used a lot for chatbots because if you've ever used a chatbot before, they can be quite mm -hmm. robotic and difficult to use. And, you know, the answer is usually I don't know because you phrased your question in a slightly awkward way or something mm -hmm. in a way that it hasn't seen before. And, you know, generative AI, because it's um, it, it has that the sort of that degree of creativity, it can handle that a lot better. So that's sort of the types of applications that I would be looking at. Nice. So where, for example, our partners are facing a large amount of written content where it's not just as simple as finding keyword searches. It's about, as you say, that almost like that reinterpreting of um, yeah. and simplification using that context. Nice. I think that makes a makes a huge amount of sense. Um, Obviously, with the application of any technology, there are certain implications which folks need to to bear in mind. And one of the things which you brought up um, previously in discussions is is responsible AI. Um, run us through what what that actually is, and uh, and what the what those considerations might look like. Yes, I think you know responsible AI is really important. I mean, responsible use of technology is really important, right? Absolutely, uh, AI yeah. is not the first technology that has the potential to cause problems. Um, mm. it, we need to, before we apply something and deploy something in production, we just need to think through what might the risks be? Mm -hmm. What could happen? And do we choose to ignore those risks, right? Is it a risk that we can ignore? Is it something that we can mitigate somehow? Is there something that we can do to mm -hmm. you know, deal with that risk? And so, this applies to generative AI as well as any AI problem. Uh, usually mm -hmm. when I'm, before I start implementing a model, I will ask myself, what could go wrong? You definitely want to think through the implications and what might happen and what can I do to mitigate it? Mm -hmm. On the other side of the spectrum, let's say you're building a recommendation algorithm. What's the mm -hmm. absolute worst thing that can happen? Well, a user doesn't click on a product. Yeah. Right? That's not as big of a risk. So there you mm. might say, well, that's a risk I'm willing to accept to a certain extent. Um, so those are things that you should always be thinking about, um, not just with AI, really with any technology, I think, that you implement. Mm -hmm. I think certainly when when technology is is something which is everywhere, 
And it's something which I think a lot of partners are being um, forced to consider maybe for the very first time. Potentially, they they might be running very quickly, but it's absolutely essential to be looking at these considerations. And I think it's the same way that we talk about foundational concerns such as security as well, isn't it? And I know that security with AI is obviously critical. And this is where I think Amazon's and AWS in particular has got a really good story to tell. Yes, definitely. I agree. Security is exactly the same thing, right? You, whenever you yeah. do a security review, you're always looking at what could possibly go wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. Indeed. Um, one, of the key, one of the key points that you also make is that uh, training um, models is obviously critically important. We've got uh, some foundational models which are pre-trained to a point which then our customers can apply um, some additional training for their particular use case. This is really where I think our customers can gain the confidence with, with AWS that uh, that additional training can actually stay related to the model that they have and they control, uh, which should give them a great deal more confidence in actually getting on board and actually experimenting with Genaya. Isn't that the case? Yes, very much so. It's um, Look, these models are often used uh, in situations where they may need to be trained on you know, some potentially sensitive data. Yeah. Um, you know, you always try to design a model that where you can get away without feeding it sensitive data, but sometimes there's mm -hmm. no way to get around it, right? The model it has to know. It might be the use case, for example. Work. Yeah, it might be the use yeah. case. It, you know, there are situations where you cannot avoid it. And so it is really important in those cases that you can be confident that when you are providing your data to this model, that there's no way for that data to, you know, leak out in any way, right? Yeah. It, will, it won't leave your AWS account. It doesn't leave your VPC. Um, mm -hmm. The model object itself isn't shared um, because yeah. there are ways, you know, there, there have been research papers where just from the model itself, they were able to work out some of the data that was used to train it. So this okay, is definitely right. really, really important to keep not just the data itself, but the model artifact secure yeah. as well. And I think as, as our partners are looking into more use cases, potentially I can imagine things like financial services would be recommendations, et cetera. That becomes critically important. And if we then think about implications around, say, data sovereignty, being able to localize the data, the model protected ring fence within our VPCs within a specific AWS region to make sure the data um, and the model itself is not leaving um, where customers place it for very good reasons, that becomes a really important uh, uh, key consideration, really, um, which should definitely unlock that consideration of um, generative AI for those use cases where partners have those sorts of concerns. This is now an option as well to think about how to add value because they can leverage these security features too. For sure. Yes. It's yeah. um, especially the more sensitive data gets, the more often it's important mm. that it stays in the same country. Absolutely. I think that's that's top of mind. Um, something else that you speak uh, a lot about, which I, th which I think is fascinating because a lot of folks might understand that, yes, occasionally that source data might change. Um, you speak really eloquently about the need to, to think about the longevity and also how we maintain our models as well. Um, take us through that a bit. Yeah, it's um, the way I describe it, and, and this is not my saying originally, I actually stole this mm. from a, a colleague in the US, but he, <laughs> he sort of says um, a machine learning model is like a brand new car. As soon as you right. drive it off the lot, it loses value. Mm. and it very much is like that. You can imagine you're, you're teaching a machine learning model based on historical data. And mm -hmm. pretty much as soon as you finish training it, it's already it's out, out of date. date. The world changes constantly. Mm -hmm. 
and specifically when we start thinking about generative AI models, which we're looking for newer and newer use cases that need to reflect information that has changed as well, that becomes even more important too. So how, how do we go about maintaining a machine learning model? What does that look like? So there's a couple of aspects to it. Um, you, you obviously need to have a way of retraining that model, right? So you yeah. need to have a method for collecting new data, more recent data that reflects sort of the, the state of, you know, your use case or the world mm. of your use case as it is now, and then be able to retrain that model. Now, what a lot right. of customers um, end up with is they end up in a situation where their data scientists end up spending more time maintaining existing models than they do creating new models. Fascinating. Especially once you've started getting a couple in production. Uh, that, yep. that happens quite a bit. Um, so not only do you need a way to retrain those models, you need that to be as automated as possible, right? right. A data scientist should not have to go in and manually do that retraining. Um, mm. You have to be able to create a pipeline for it in order to mm -hmm. just trigger it, let it be done. Um, once you've done that, you've retrained the model, there's a whole lot of you know, checks and balances it needs to go through. Um, again, the training process, if your data set uh, is worse or has some issues that you didn't detect, you might actually end up creating a model that's worse than your previous and, one. And you have to be able to manage that quality over time to ensure that you're, you're not drifting as well. Interesting. Yes, you have to be able to you know, set up some checks, like what's important to me? What metrics am mm. I gonna look for? Uh, what are my, you know, what's my minimum accuracy target, for example, yeah. uh, that I, I want to hit. Um, and again, those checks can be automated, right? So all mm. of that can be automated. You can absolutely have a human in the loop. So you can absolutely yeah. have somebody who looks at all these results and makes the final decision of whether or not the new model can be used. Um, mm. But the, the, you know, the calculations should all be done automatically. Yeah. Um, so that's, sorry, sorry. Sorry, no, I was just going to say the final step is sort of once the model has gone through into production is that mm -hmm. that model monitoring. So you do want to, uh, there are some cases where you might be able to say, oh, I know my use case and I know for a fact that my model should be retrained once a month and I'm just going to set yeah. it on a schedule. But there's many use cases where you don't really know. And so monitoring that model while it's in production. So basically what I mean by that is saving the input, saving the output and you know comparing it to what you're expecting is really, really important. It helps you determine when to retrain your model as well. Yeah, nice. And of course, you don't want to be retraining your model unnecessarily. That has implications from you know, energy use, compute, sustainability, et cetera. So training at the right time would, would appear to be the best outcome. Yes, absolutely. And that becomes even more applicable with generative AI because these models tend to be very large. Yeah. Uh, they need more powerful compute instances. They absolutely need GPU power. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's uses more energy. Uh, it costs more. And so it's worthwhile, but you definitely want to retrain at the right time and, and mm -hmm. you know, not just do it randomly. It's interesting. Everything you've described should be very familiar to our partners who are doing any kind of software development because ultimately you've described the whole process of monitoring, instrumenting, um, shifting left testing throughout the pipeline. The same is absolutely true of, of AR models, isn't it? Yes, it definitely is. It's, you know, the testing that you do is a little bit different, right? So instead yeah. of unit tests, um, you're calculating if the accuracy is still within a particular range or yeah. you're checking if the data that's coming in uh, is still within a particular range. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the testing that you do is a little bit different due to the nature of what you're producing. You're producing a model, not yeah. code. 
But, yeah. you know, it, it all still applies, right? DevOps principles mm. still apply. Interesting. And I think that's great because that, that provides that relatability to to really the skills that our partners have got within the more traditional DevOps-focused world. All that is equally applicable, as you say, but with some of those contextual changes. But the meta model is... Um, you know, the mental model of actually driving good quality outcomes using automation, that's all the same, which is fantastic. Yes. One of the things which um, you've also mentioned is lineage and explainability. Take us through that. Yeah, so, you know, we, we do have more and more regulation now being applied to machine learning, which is a good thing, right? It's yeah. um, like we've discussed, it, it can, you know, it, it can be used uh, incorrectly. Um, it can sort of, you know, be used in a way that that you probably didn't anticipate. So mm -hmm. it's important that we do have regulations that companies start thinking about this even before the regulations come in, right? Let's be ahead yeah. of the regulations. Let's make sure that we have everything in place. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we do, you know, find important is when a model does make a decision mm -hmm. and somebody questions that decision, whether it's a regulator or whether it's you yourself, you should be able to then work your way back to how was this model trained? When did I train it? What were the hyperparameter values? What was the data set that I trained it on? All mm. of that information you should be able to trace back so you can figure out what happened, why it happened, and if there's any changes that you need to make. Mm -hmm. Which of course then closes that quality loop as well because that all has implications for how you train, when you train as well, everything we spoke about previously too, I think. Yes, it's all connected. Yeah, nice. Sarah, we are looking like we're shortly running out of time, but um, I'd love if, if you could think about what are those top three things which you'd love our partners to take away as they start thinking about Gen AI, um, things that can to put into practice tomorrow? Yeah, look, I think my, my number one piece of advice would be um, to, to understand how the technology works, right? You don't yeah. have to become a data scientist. Um, I'm not going to ask you to explain to me how a transformer architecture works from beginning to end, right? That's not necessary. Yeah. But Good, I'm quite relieved because I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> but if you can understand, you know, at a high level how the technology works, it just helps you figure out where to actually apply it, where it makes mm -hmm. sense and where it doesn't, right? So making the best decision for the customer in terms of what kind of solution they need. And mm -hmm. AI is not always the answer. Um, so that's yeah. one, one piece of advice that I would give. Um, but having said that, my, my second piece of advice would be to you know, go, go prototype, go build. Mm -hmm. um, this technology is pretty exciting. Um, generative AI, although it's not new, um, you know, there have been quite a few advances lately. Um, mm -hmm. It's definitely a very exciting new area with lots of use cases and applications. So I certainly wouldn't wait with prototyping mm -hmm. and, and building with it. Um, just always keep in mind that, you know, that responsible AI side of it and, and really think about what you're building and what the implications could be. Um, for the third piece of advice, hmm, I have to think about that one a little. Um, Yeah, look, I'd, I'd say try to go as managed as possible. Right. Um, I see a lot of customers and partners building from scratch, building completely mm -hmm. custom. And it's, it's always more management effort than I think um, they were expecting. So yeah. I'll, like, I'll, I'll give you an example, right? In, in, a, in a previous role of mine, um, mm -hmm. I was a data scientist. I had to build a model. And then afterwards, I had to 
write the API endpoint that was going to host the model. And right. I'm not a software engineer. <laughs> okay. Right? It, it terrifies me that that API endpoint might still be running somewhere in this world. I sincerely hope they have torn it down mm. um, because I'm not, you know, I'm not a software engineer. I don't know how to make this scalable. I do not know enough about security to really secure it. It's, you know, it, it's a mess. Um, yeah. So it's know where your strengths lie, know what mm -hmm. you're good at, which is in my case, building the model and then use the services that are available, right? So in my case, it would be SageMaker where yeah. that endpoint code has been written by somebody who knows what they're doing. It's already got a load balancer in place, right? Mm -hmm. It's already got security features in place. And that just makes my life a whole lot easier and lets me put things into production a lot faster than I used to yeah. be able to do. And I think that's that's Sage advice for anyone really building. Um, those managed services are there to to raise the line of shared responsibility just a little bit so that uh, our customers and partners can build faster, um, leveraging tools to help them as opposed to having to build from scratch. Because I should imagine if you, you know, if you have to do that yourself, you probably aren't spending as much time on the models as you should. And and that's not really a good use of your time. Um, I think that's, that's, that's an amazing takeaway. Sarah, that's really been amazing. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. But I really hope that's given our audience some really good insights on how we can work better together to serve our AWS customers. Sarah, thanks so much for spending uh, the time today with us. Thanks a lot for having me. I enjoyed it. More than welcome. Thank you. And for me, Richard, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Partner Buzz. We really do look forward to you joining us in our next episode. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.